Welcome to Nipe Story. This podcast brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and the African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. And on this episode, we are featuring Brian Mushiri and his story, Storms We've Weathered. Our third date was on the outskirts of Nairobi at a restaurant she had picked, Jenny's. I didn't know it then, but Jenny's meant more than just the four walls where they made ridiculously priced food. This had been where she shared the fondest memories of her late father, a man gone too soon, robbed from his family by a mentally ill police officer who went on a killing spree, fatally shooting any male who had the slightest contact with his wife. As all these stories always end, the distraught policeman took his own life outside his children's school, scarring them for life. It was international news. Three men died that day, and one was severely injured. It's maze, not mercy. I swear, I will stand you up if you keep on pushing my buttons, you short man. <laughs> Mace chuckled as she hung up the phone. There had been an ongoing joke between us where she would tease me for being short and I would infuriate her by pronouncing her name wrong. I had arrived at Jenny's 30 minutes earlier because I wanted to spend the time sending out my CV using their Wi-Fi. I had also passed by my usual Kibandaski and ordered a bowl of beans and more chapatis than is morally acceptable. Any responsible broke man knows to eat well before going on a date that is going to break bank. You eat beforehand so that once you get to your date, you can comfortably order the cheapest drink for yourself, allowing her to have whatever she wants. Mace was and is on a wheelchair. She fractured her spine when she was 11 after falling off a horse during a horse riding competition. 20 years later, her wheelchair looked more like an accessory rather than the daunting device we think of when we see a wheelchair. She didn't need saving or fixing. She seemed to be extremely comfortable in her skin. Dare I say, even more comfortable than I was. She rolled up the ramp to Jenny's, dressed in a long floral dress that was just high enough to show her slightly swollen feet in her pink sandals. She had mentioned that this was a common thing that most people on wheelchairs experience. Her hair was short and blonde. I had not been a fan of it initially, but it quickly became the thing that I liked most about her. Mace always carried a water bottle, an expensive-looking flask hooked conveniently to the frame of her chair. She was bright and beautiful, and by day's end would hopefully become my girlfriend. She took a few minutes catching up with the manager and staff at Jenny's because they had already known each other for a while. I took the time to log off my computer and put it away in my bag. I straightened myself, <coughs> cleared my throat, patted my afro a few times and did a couple of other things that people do when they're nervous. Hello, beautiful. Right on time as always. Finally, I see the famous Jenny's. I said as I stood up, walked towards her and crouched to give her a big hug. Babe, how long have you been waiting? I thought we had agreed we'd meet around this time. As I was coming up with ways to cover up the truth, which I believed would be embarrassing, one of the waitresses was already at our table, removing one of the chairs so that Mace could find a space to park her wheelchair. After the waitress had made sure that her favorite customer was settled, 
she whispered something in her ear and gingerly walked off. I needed to get some work done, so I figured I would come earlier. Do that and keep your chair warm as well. <laughs> you got jokes, don't you? But that's a good one, I won't lie. She said with a broad smile and bright eyes. So, you got a job eventually? Good for you, shorty, she added in jest. I couldn't get my eyes off her beautiful face. Every time I was with her, I felt a warmth inside, a calmness I never knew existed. It had something to do with her sense of humor and personality. She was fierce but gentle at the same time. That little shorty joke flew past me as I was staring at her and generally being weird. My guy, have you been hit by some kind of stroke? Why are you staring at me like there's a cow sitting on my forehead? Now why are you like this mace? Can't I have a gun at the woman giving me sleepless nights? And no, unfortunately, I'm still sending out my CV. Fingers are still crossed. Mace leaned forward and reached for my hand from the other side of the table. Her eyes softened as she assured me that my break was on the horizon. She had rough hands from all the wheeling she had been doing most of her life. Wheeling had also made her quite strong, especially around her core. Every day I was surprised by how much she was able to do, even with most of her body being paralyzed. What are you having? The waitress just whispered to me that today's lunch will be on the house, so order anything you fancy. I cursed the decision I had made to eat all those chapatis that were already making my stomach rumbly. I chose to have soup while she ordered the most delicious-looking chicken breast I had ever laid my eyes on. We were halfway into lunch when I finally got the balls to ask the question I had rehearsed for hours the previous night. So, Mace, the last few weeks have been magical for me. It's a pleasure and privilege to know you and have a glimpse into your life. I won't say I don't see your wheelchair because you don't like it when people say that. What I will simply say is that I see you and what you are is more than enough for me. If anything, you are probably a little more than what I'm used to, in a good way. Before I ramble too much, I guess what I'm trying to ask is if you find me worthy, I would very much like to be your boyfriend. At some point during my long-worded proposal, she had covered her mouth with both her hands and tears were running down her cheeks. I'd caught her by surprise and she was taking her precious time to process what I was asking of her. Finally, struggling to regain her voice and with tear-soaked eyes, she said, Oh, that was beautiful. I was wondering when you'd ask. I'm happy you just did. Be my boyfriend, because I like you. I like you a lot. We stayed at Jenny's for the rest of the day. If we could have, we'd have burnt the midnight oil. We talked about anything in our lives we felt worth sharing. I let myself be free with her and she did the same. We became one that day and our love story felt riveting. A tale of two misfits with a couple of loose screws in the head. A couple that genuinely wanted to be with each other. That evening, she dropped me home in her car and offered to buy me supper, which I turned down, of course, because if something must kill a man, then it must be his pride. The next time we went to Jenny's was three months later. This time, Mace had been the one who had arrived earlier, even though we had already started living together at this point. I knew someone who knew someone whose uncle worked at the county office, so I'd gotten a job at the immigration department. 
I helped people get passports and though it wasn't my ideal job, it was enough to provide for Mace and I, though she still helped a lot with some bills. As a wheelchair user, Mace was mostly independent, but still needed some help here and there. I'd become her primary caregiver and I was able and willing to help with anything she wanted. This, however, had been difficult to achieve because, initially, she hadn't wanted me to take on that role in her life. She had always hired caregivers, but it didn't make sense to keep them once we started living together. She took some convincing, but eventually she came around. I left work early that day to meet up with Mace at Jenny's. She always sat at the same place, so I knew where to find her. Only that, this time, she wasn't alone. Her friend, Molly sat beside her. I felt tense as I walked up to them. I always had a feeling that I wasn't Molly's favorite person in the world. Maybe it had something to do with the passive-aggressive comments she made when I moved into Mace's house. Something along the lines of, real men don't live in their women's houses. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. The traffic was crazy today. Molly, so nice to see you. I hope you're keeping well. I gave Mace a soft kiss on the cheek, but she didn't seem thrilled by it. Molly looked annoyed as usual and didn't even look at me in the eye. The mood was super awkward, and I started to ask myself if I'd done something that could have caused them to be this indifferent. Babe, you look troubled. What's up? Is everything okay? I was generally acting suspicious because I was the one always making dumb decisions in the relationship. One time I took her water bottle with me to work and she didn't talk to me for two days. The other time she had asked me to fix a screw in her wheelchair. I forgot. The wheelchair malfunctioned. She fell. She cried. And I blamed myself for a week. So what had I done now? I have good news and um, bad news. I'll tell you the good news first. Mace finally spoke up. Molly moved closer to her, being supportive and rubbing her back. Okay, babe, um, what, what is the news? She was visibly struggling to get the words out and Molly was doing her best to encourage her on. In the end, she burst into tears and Molly decided to be her voice. She is six weeks pregnant. I hope you're proud of yourself. Mace immediately nudged her, warning her to seize her unnecessary attack on me. She then looked at me and simply nodded. It's true. We're going to have a baby. I was stunned. In a good way. In a very good way. I was a 35-year-old man. I'd always wanted to have a child. Who better to start a family with than Mace? It was a dream fulfilled. We had discussed having children and this was something that Mace also wanted. We hadn't been actively trying to get pregnant, but if walls could speak, our bedroom walls would tell tales of determination and desire to make love every time an opportunity presented itself. And yes, women on wheelchairs can get pregnant too. I had voiced my concerns earlier in the relationship. I wasn't questioning her fertility, rather her ability to carry the baby to term. It seemed like it was going to be too uncomfortable or too difficult for her. She sat me down one afternoon and explained all the bits and pieces. Carrying the baby to term wouldn't be easy on a wheelchair, but that didn't mean that it was impossible. 
She disclosed that she had miscarried a baby once before in her 20s, a painful experience that ultimately led to the end of the relationship she was in at that time. That being said, Mace was always down to pound, as she explicitly referred to it. Despite being paralyzed, she enjoyed the intimacy of making love, the touching, the rubbing, kissing, fondling. She was a big fan. I loved her to death, but sometimes, off the record, I found it hard to keep up. This is wonderful, babe. Such good news. Um, but why are you crying? It's something we've always wanted. If it's something that you always wanted, then why is your family sending her death threats? Hmm? Molly interjected. My family had always acted like they accepted Mace. They were superstitious and backward thinking just because she was on a wheelchair. My uncles had sat me down the first time I took Mace home and subtly expressed their disapproval of her. They spoke in harsh tones. They said that Mace would bring bad luck, the kind that I would never recover from. She was broken, and choosing her was an insult to my family and my ancestors. What do you mean about death threats? About the pregnancy? How did they know? Babe, how long have you known? Mace was still sobbing. I had not seen her this distraught before. I wished to console her and calm her, but Molly had her arms around her, almost in a protective way, like she needed to fear me as well, as though the sins of my kin were automatically mine. We've known for a week. Your cousin Wanjiru confirmed it at her clinic. She promised not to tell, but clearly her words mean nothing. They're saying that Mace will give birth to a cripple like her. Your family is vile and rude. I never liked you one bit. Molly was trembling with anger as she spoke those words. Her narrowed eyes pierced through me and into my soul. She meant every word she said. Babe, I know I was never your family's favorite person, but I don't like where things are going. I can deal with rude comments out there, but I can't imagine receiving them from my in-laws-to-be. It is decided. I have no desire of seeing or talking to your family ever again. And I will also need you to leave my house as well. I beg you to leave me in peace. The drive back home was silent and tense. Mace drove while her furious friend Molly sat at the back. Being the faithful co-driver on the verge of being dumped, I sat still, looking out the window and wondered why all this was happening to me. To us. Before the universe could respond to my complex thoughts, the heavens opened up and heavy droplets of rain landed on the windshield, signaling a heavy downpour. Mace cursed and mumbled something under her breath, which I guessed had something to do with her not wanting to get wet while transferring from the car to her wheelchair. She was a notoriously fast driver who always made her passengers hit imaginary brakes whenever she was in a mood to put the pedal to the metal. On this day, however, she was doing a reasonable 60 kilometers per hour, almost like she was delaying her destination, which in this case was our home, or more accurately, hers. Making the decision to move in with Mace in her house wasn't easy. As a man, I understood how it looked, and I was sure I would come off as weak and possibly even be subjected to comments of being kept. Having a mid-level salary didn't help either, but it was the practical thing to do. 
I couldn't ask Mace to cohabit with me in my one-bedroom house on the second-floor building that was literally in the ghetto. It didn't make sense one bit. So I lived in my girlfriend's house, who was in a wheelchair, made her pregnant, and now she wanted nothing to do with me because my family believes she was cursed. Can we please talk about this, babe? I understand you're frustrated, but we have a child on the way. I want to take care of my family. Let's not make rash decisions. Molly, being the constant pain in the neck she had always aspired to be, didn't even let me finish. Look here, Mr. Promises and no action. Whatever needs saying has been said. Your stuff is packed. Get out and do you ever mind your own business? Shut up for once and let me talk to my girlfriend. I'm starting to get tired of your insults. I had had enough. My blood was literally boiling with fury because she had been taunting me all day. I understood her need to protect her friend, but she seemed to enjoy pushing my buttons way too much. She didn't speak a word more from that moment. My outburst had clearly played its purpose. Mace? stayed silent, ignoring me and only speaking to curse at other motorists and the torrential rain. A few minutes later, we were parked at the parking lot of the apartment building. The rain had now ceased to a light shower, though huge pools of water flooded the tarmac, testament to how heavy it had rained. Mace finally spoke as Molly hopped outside the car and dashed to the front door. I'm tired. I don't want to fight. You know I love you and this is very difficult for me. But it is what I want, so please respect my wishes. Your bags are packed. She placed both her hands on her belly and added, This is your child too, so I'll let you know when I will be going for my first clinic. I don't want to argue, but I don't want to go either. Please? Okay, but who will help you with your caregiving needs? Let me stay in until you find someone. Molly is more than happy to stand in until the agency sends me a nurse. I will be taken care of. And that was that. Molly brought me my bags. I called an Uber to my friend's place and my relationship was over. Because my family couldn't stand the idea of having a disabled woman. For a daughter-in-law. In the following days, I became a nuisance, calling and texting Mace, using every trick in the book to convince her to have me back. Not in her house, but in her heart. I exhausted her quite quickly and ultimately, she blocked me and gave me strict orders that I was not allowed inside her apartment building. I knew I was wrong, but I couldn't help myself. I wanted her back. The weekend after the breakup, I traveled home to confront my parents and hear it from their mouths. I wanted to know why they were subjecting me to this kind of pain. My dad's eyes turned red when I attempted to question their opinions. He became livid and accused me of being disrespectful. That woman has placed a spell on you and it shows with the way you are acting right now. He said, adding that he would never accept a crippled child in his household. My mother pulled me aside before I left and asked me to consider what my father was saying. 
She had always been scared of him all her life and couldn't attempt going against his will. She didn't believe in the outrageous things he said, but she dared not voice her thoughts. I gave her a, a big hug and left, never to return home again. There was an interesting contrast in my life where my social life was crumbling while the professional side was thriving. I got a scholarship to further my education in Denmark for two years. By this time, Mace had unblocked me and had started behaving in a civilized manner. My daughter, Emma, was born on Christmas Eve, a bouncing baby girl. Mace had allowed me to pick the name and even gave Emma my last name. She will always have one dad in that end, she would constantly say. Though Mace and I were on talking terms, we had avoided the question of getting back together because there had already been so much baggage between us. We had decided to take care of Emma the best way that we could, and that became the basis of our relationship. I tried dating in Denmark, but the culture there was so different from home. I could never connect with the women there, mostly because my heart belonged to Mace and Emma. We had scheduled video call meetings throughout the week, and I sent upkeep for Emma without fail, even though Mace insisted she was okay by herself. I was offered a managerial job at a real estate agency in Copenhagen before I even graduated. It was a well-paying job that came with housing and a car. It was a dream job that I jumped on without hesitation. During Emma's first birthday, I traveled back home and surprised her and her mum. It was the first time I was seeing Emma, my precious, beautiful daughter, who had been raised well by her strong and capable mother. Emotions ran high that day. One thing led to another, and I ended up in Macy's bed after tucking in my little one. Marry me. I proposed as we lay motionless on her bed, staring at the ceiling. She sat up immediately as if she'd been electrocuted. Her hair was a mess from all the turning, pulling and pushing we'd been doing all night. You short men are crazy. Generous lovers, yes, but crazy, crazy people, she exclaimed. She had not changed one bit. I knew that was a yes. In the following days, we got married in the eyes of the law, signed papers, made applications for her and Emma's visa, and embarked on a spirited love affair that lasted the entirety of my brief visit. On my last day, I surprised her with a new wheelchair, a ridiculously priced chair that I knew she had always wanted. It was light, sleek, and moved her to tears. I made sure Molly knew about all the things that we were doing. Turns out, she liked me more when I had my MasterCard. I travelled back to Denmark and went back to work. The wait began, waiting for the visas to be processed so that I would have my family with me. It was long and tedious, longer than I had anticipated. During that time, I moved into an accessible house, identified schools where Emma would attend and bought Mace an accessible car. On Valentine's Day the following year, my wife and child arrived home. All the stars had finally aligned. Storms We've Weathered was written by Brian Mushiri. Brian is a creative mind, passionate about meaningful storytelling that not only entertains but also impacts the reader. 
He's also a disability advocate and champion for articulating issues faced in the disability community. You can find him on Instagram as Brio underscore Wills and his writing is featured on the blog Potentash.com. That's spelled P-O-T-E-N-T-A-S-H. Potentash.com. And if you have a piece of short story fiction that is between 750 and 4,500 words that you'd like us to consider, please email nipestorypodcast at gmail.com. We'll be happy to have a look at it. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story. And on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Thank you for listening. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.